Welcome back to the Behind the Wealth Show. Eli, what's happening today? Nothing. Filming a podcast and getting cranked up here for dry January. It's dry, it's dry January, and I don't uh, I don't participate in that. I don't set unrealistic goals for myself. So well, I tried to uh, I tried to trick you the other night when we were at dinner with your wife. Yeah, I know. I tried to trick you to see if you actually set any year's resolution and we didn't yeah well maddie's like well kind of like we're gonna give up chips and crackers and yeah you know why she was agreeing with you because you're a good salesman and you pose it in such a way that she should say yes <laughs> to the question oh, but, so yeah at our house we're not doing dry january but we did talk about we're gonna do uh we picked february i think short month doing a short month where we're gonna cut out the chips and the crack see we eat a lot of chips and crackers and uh like cheese and meat and uh which that stuff's really not that bad for you but then dips and stuff like that so we're just gonna try and do one month of no i guess we're cutting out one of our main snacks the chips just yeah. because the chips calories are like chips and well the the carbohydrates not necessarily why? it's just there's nothing there's no nutritional value really to eating a cracker or a potato chip so it's just something we're just gonna it's more like a challenge i guess to see if we can do it dude here's some good some good ones to do you like hummus yeah i like hummus radishes and hummus yeah so actually i've radishes. been substituting here's what i've been eating instead of potato chips pickled green beans yeah because they're salty and crunchy and that's really why i'm eating the chips and then, um, and I've been eating more vegetables and dips. Like I'm not giving up like ranch dip or even like the creamier dips. I'll just eat instead of chips or crackers and dip, I'm going to have vegetables and dip. I think just, yes, yesterday, my whole snack that I, I mean, I didn't really eat much. I was busy cauliflower and ranch dip. It's about yeah, as good as it gets. I've done it. Actually I did. Yeah. Yesterday watching football, instead of having some chips and salsa, I had some, uh, carrots and ranch and it's really not that bad it's just i don't ever when i think of a snack that i want to watch football it's either going to be like popcorn or chips or a sweets you know so so if you got to give it up go with uh some buffalo cauliflower if you have an air fryer it's really good dude we do have an air fryer i haven't made that that sounds good just put the cauliflower and some buffalo sauce for like a half hour and fry it it's just like having a chicken wing but i think you know i you mentioned how every like we know two people now that have kind of delayed their their um resolution per se. I guess yours isn't a resolution, but we're gonna call yours a goal of having less chips. <laughs> it's and not for the I'm, whole year. It's I'm just doing a thirty day period. But here's what my takeaway is. And well that that's still the same thing. It doesn't have to be for the year. It could be for a short period of time. But really what you're trying to do is figure out a way to improve some part of your life. And yeah. people are doing the same thing financially. It's like, hey, I don't have to be perfect. Most things you don't have to be perfect with it. But if your goal was to save, you know, open a Roth IRA and max it out, but you're only doing 200 bucks, okay. Like, it's a start. It doesn't have to be all or none. And I think that's kind of the point and some of the takeaways I have. You know, I got an article here. You brought up Dry January, but CNBC had a an article that people who are doing dry January, how much money they actually might save. There's a gal in here, her name's, um, her last name is Davidson. When she did uh, dry January, she started saving $500 a month. 
She hasn't drank now in eight years. She's banked 48,000. So man, that's a big number. <laughs> yeah. But ironically, I thought about this cause you know, I love Starbucks. Like I love Starbucks and I haven't been there since I looked at my meals and entertainment last year for, for business, just because I'm like, I'm not going to spend that at Starbucks this year. Kind of, I guess Jonas called it my QuickBooks audit. Is that what he but, called it? The official name is the Roger Abel QuickBooks Audit. Okay, so the Roger Abel QuickBooks Audit. The good news is I know where my money's going, but I actually had kind of the same idea. If I took that money and I ran an experiment, what would it actually grow to? And it's actually a significant Just your amount Starbucks. Of money. Bill? Just my Starbucks. It would Bill. be a lot. I mean, because I buy it for other people and my wife and whatever. But that's what this article's about. I think it's really interesting because people think that the big purchases in life, Elias, are what derails them. It's really a lot of the small nickel and dime stuff that are derailing people because people think about the $500 purchase. Most people do, or the $1,000 purchase. There's like some level of thought or discussion that goes into it. Nobody thinks about the $11 burrito at Ponchero's well, and like or the, the $5 coffee. And like the dry January article. So that lady has been doing it for like almost eight, eight, years. eight years. She hasn't... 500 a month for if you put 48,000 into a, like a Roth account over that time, it doesn't even matter what type of account, any type yeah. of account, even just a savings account, cash in the bank. Well, you have there's 48,000. What and then the potential growth on that if you actually invest it over time. And I think there's a lot more for me. I don't really, I don't think uh, alcohol moderating alcohol is really a financial thing. Thing, but it's uh it's very healthy to drink less alcohol it's one of the worst things you can put in into your system and i i enjoy having a cocktail i like having a glass of wine i do all that stuff but ultimately it's terrible for you uh for your health what it does for your body to just process it and get rid of it and then sleep it really impacts your sleep very negatively which alcohol? is a, yeah. Yeah. Alcohol. I mean, Jeff would be the one to talk about. Jeff gave up drinking like five years ago. I mean, he hasn't had a drop. And the good news is they actually have a lot of like really good non-alcoholic beverages. So because that is true. There is a lot of good N.A. beers out there. now. Well, it's not just like Coors N.A. like a, and Heineken N.A. like it used to be. On the radio show, Jonas always brings a couple athletic light N.A.'s. And I, I, if I'm going to eat a chicken wing or a piece of pizza or something, I want to have a beer with it. Like there's Absolutely. certain foods. So what I've been doing is I've been subbing those, those NA beers. Cause in my opinion, they taste exactly the same. In most cases, if I put the specific NA beer that I have right next to, let's say like a Mick ultra, they're going to be hard pressed to know that one's non-alcoholic and one isn't. Yeah, which is a good thing because you can still get the flavor and the and what you like about it without the, you know, without the negative impacts of alcohol. So I got one other thing I want to talk about before we kind of start this show. We had our company holiday party Saturday night. Did you see the book that Casey got? The book? No. Yeah, Rich Dad. Oh Poor yeah, Dad I did. I did saw, yeah, I saw the copy of that running around. Well, um, did you happen to see the article that was on MSN.com just three days? Like the same day he got that book. Yeah, I, yeah, I read through that, and apparently he's got a billion dollars or north of a billion dollars in debt. Well, I think the issue is he said, I'm a billion dollars in debt, but that's not my problem. How is it not your problem? It's your debt. 
Like, I'm trying to figure well, it out. He said later in the article, he says, if I go bust, the bank goes bust, which. Well, I, I it's unlikely, though, that it's one bank that has all of his debt. I would assume it's highly unlikely. Um, he probably gets a lot of free launches from his bankers, though, I would imagine. <laughs> you want to make sure he pays that back. Well, he has some pretty, like, outlandish views on wealth and money anymore. And, and you know, oh, I, agree. I read that book. 20 years ago, I'm like, God, this guy's really smart. And now the more I've learned about him and Hey, he's clearly done things I've never done. So I'm not bashing the guy, but his whole world just revolves around debt. It does. And a lot of his, like his investment advice, which even in the, this art, this specific article, you know, he doesn't really, he doesn't really talk about the market at all being a good place to build wealth, even though look at the history of it and how can you look at the history and then make the argument that, Oh, that wasn't a good idea. You know, it's kind of a lesson that if you carry a bunch of debt, you just are adding tons of risk to your life. You know, I think that a lot of people talk about getting out of debt, but don't talk about why getting out of debt removes risk. That's why. It's just a risk mitigation factor. If you can handle the debt and okay with the risk, that's one thing. But most people are pretty risk averse. So the easiest way to limit risk is not have any debt. Yeah, which is, that's why most, a lot of, a lot of successful investors, they have either very little debt or they just have no debt at all. And the reason is because they've eliminated that risk from their life. And really, if you think like how we help people and retirement and all that, it's achievable if you do a few things correctly, but not having, not having debt, it really kind of, there are people who that just the debt load either makes or breaks their situation. And if you don't have any payments, if you don't owe any, any money to anybody other, like your home's always going to cost you money, but how much like how much income and how much stuff do you need to just live on a day-to-day basis for most people, right? Like if your lifestyle is somewhat within your means and frugal and all those kind of things, how much money do you really need to just have income for yourself to, to live the, to live a life that most people are living? Well, you don't need that much. You just need to be responsible with your money. Think about when we put together, you know, really detailed plans for people, Elias, it revolves around the first question that you have to figure out is how much are you going to spend? If you have no debt versus some debt, your number is likely smaller. So to your point, you need to accumulate less. And yeah, I've had the conversation with lots of people that when you hit, you know, retirement age, ideally you should have everything paid off. And I have this, I play this game with my wife. I'm like, well, if you don't, if your house is paid for and how much do you really need? Like how much money do you, when you're done saving, because once you're living off your money, you're not saving anymore and your house is paid for, how much money do you really need? I mean, if you start to think about average family, probably need anywhere from 60, 70,000, 150,000 a year. 
Like for I'm like that's yeah. probably a good wheelhouse of most people. And that probably doesn't even include your social like then you have in social security and all this other stuff you throw into it. That's why debt helps limit risk. I, I have a gal that I've been working with and she was reluctant to pay her house off. I'm like, but you have the money in the bank. Like legit just in the bank. I'm like, why why wouldn't you just pay it off? Well, what were her reasons? I could maybe earn more. I said, that's not a valid reason. You wouldn't go take a loan from the bank. You wouldn't take a loan against your house to invest it, would you? Well, no. That's the same thing. Like, if you have the cash to pay your house off and you don't pay it off, that's just like taking a loan on your house to invest it, which nobody would ever do or should do. I posed her an upside-down question. Sometimes you have to. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? The financial professionals at Premier Investments and Wealth Management are the guides you've been looking for. Picture this, a financial plan tailored exclusively to you. Our team of experienced professionals will work closely with you to understand your aspirations and develop a personalized roadmap to get you there. Whether you're dreaming of retirement, buying a new home, or sending your kids to college, we've got the tools to give you confidence in your financial life. We'll help you navigate saving and investing, retirement income, and tax strategies. Our job is not just about making money. It's about helping our clients make smart choices. We'll provide you with the tools and knowledge to confidently steer your financial ship toward a brighter future. Are you ready to embark on your financial journey with confidence? Visit www.btwealthshow.com or click the link in the description of this podcast. Your financial future awaits. Well, let's kind of get started. And I think if everybody... If you think back to our last show, this year is kind of the year of um, we're going to focus on personalized, very specific advice for people. And one of the, the I guess, issues that some of our clients have run into, because I've, I've had this question asked over the last 60 days, is, you know, I'm a high income earner and I'm limited into how much money I can actually put away. You know, we, we work with a lot of physicians, um, business owners, engineers, and some of these people are really highly compensated and and they think that, oh, you know, I'm 49 years old. I can only put 23,000 into a 401k when in reality there are options for them to put a lot more money away if they need to. And if you're somebody out there making three, four, five, 800 over a million dollars a year, putting 23,000 into your company retirement plan is not going to cut it. No, you might have to. You might have to do more than that. Well, so the first thing people should know is if you need to do more, um, the limit is not twenty three thousand. Your pre or post tax contribution limit is twenty three thousand. There's actually a sixty nine thousand dollar limit that combines employer contributions, your contributions, as well as any after tax contributions you could make. If you're over 50, you actually can do 76,500. So there is the opportunity for people to put away a lot more money into that retirement plan. But still, if you're only, if you're making a million bucks, 76,000 years, probably still not going to cut it. We had this conversation on the last show about, you know, how much, if you're a physician or a doctor in the medical field and you you know, had to delay your working career 10 to 12 years because you were getting the schooling and knowledge to get there how much money you really have to stack away for 20 years to get to retirement because you lost, you know, the first 10 years of compounding on all your contributions. And that's the, your best 
probably your best 10 years, right? Because that money can be from the perspective of the money you save in your 20s is going to be invested the longest. So that's going to be your best performing shares that you buy, however you want to look at it. And you really miss out on all those. So you don't even start until you're in your 30s. Well, and then you're still fighting to pay off your student loans. So I'd argue that most people in that profession that, you know, if you're a physician, you probably didn't really get serious about this. So you're probably in your 40s. Yeah. So you really got to hammer it away at that point. Yeah. You need to have a really good plan. And, you know, it kind of leads into, you know, we talk about it all the time. We have individuals in their 20s and 30s we call super savers. You work with lots of them. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, we do, and it's, uh, you know, the uh, the super savers, they're typically, first, they're going to at least hit maximum contributions on, like, an IRA account, Roth or, or traditional, because that's easier, and then they're going to start maxing out their 401k. But it's really hard. It's hard to not be successful if you get started at a young age and you have good saving habits. You manage your debt wisely and you just kind of do all the things. You just do the little things, the fundamentals that are going to add up over time. And this, you know, it's sometimes actually with super savers, which you almost run into where, and I think you can make an argument, you can never save too much, but there are sometimes there's people who they're doing everything right. And like at some point you got to have some lifestyle too. We, we see that a lot. Right. Where, like hoarding every penny is going to work, but you should enjoy your, if you're doing all the right things, you should be rewarded with a lifestyle that, that you've earned to have for yourself. So this is a really great example of, I would argue that there's a lot of super savers out there that believe they don't need a financial plan because I'm going to be okay. And you're right. If you're 25 years old and you're maxing out a 401k and a Roth IRA, you're likely going to be all right. Absolutely. But here's where going through a very personalized financial planning process for this individual really helps to make sense. Typically, most households, there's not two super savers. There's one super saver and there's another person along for the proverbial ride. And we've seen it a lot where the one super saver is so focused that they're sacrificing other things for their family. And the other one of the spouses assuming they're married one of the spouses may want a bigger house or a newer car and the super savers not willing to like bring the speedometer back a little bit <laughs> and this is where we've done financial plans for people and said hey look you are doing a phenomenal job but you could afford to get the new house i had a customer in here this is like a year ago I mean, and they're definitely super savers. And they have four, three kids. I have three kids. They're still living in the house they've lived at for like 16 years or something. And they're sharing bedrooms and people have a million bucks. And I go, well, maybe you could just save a titch less and get the new house. And the wife really wanted the house. And the husband was really laser focused on, we got to keep saving, rightfully so. But it's like they'd really outgrown this house. So instead of them guessing, because that's really what happens, that's the reason that the super savers like in tunnel vision mode of saving, they're not sure what's going to happen. So we're able to go put together 
this really personalized plan for this individual to show them that, hey, you're still going to hit your goals saving 10% less than you're doing now, right? So let's say this person's saving 60000 a year. We're going to scale you back to 50000 a year. You're still going to be okay. Plus, you can put your, better, your family in a better situation today too. And you can do that when you're getting one personalized advice and then you have a way to kind of model model decisions right so then you can see and i do the same i do it for myself um i i recently just went on to our planning program and opened opened the one i have for my family and it's like okay we're we're on track we're still doing all the things so it's okay to have some lifestyle increase too like we have some uh we have some goals outside of saving right now like Getting, we, uh, our home, we bought a fixer upper a few years ago. It's about halfway finished. Well, we need some cash to finish the house. So I, you know, we don't have to cut back on savings, but we don't need to increase our savings either. Right. We just need to figure out how to cash flow this new project and get it done. And it's kind of a lifestyle increase because our home will be nicer, but that's okay we're doing all the other right things, right? And for clients who are doing all the right things, um, it's okay to increase your lifestyle sometimes too. But if you're someone who's, you know, it's, you gotta be careful saying that, right? Cause if you've never saved any money and just every, you're always increasing lifestyle and already living beyond your means, like that's just not going to work. Well, I, so what we've really done is we've just hit on all these characteristics that, that super savers have. And we, we as an office spent some time kind of analyzing what these super savers really look like. And they're all similar. And it's all probably common knowledge, but if someone out there is listening and they want to be a super saver, here's kind of the things that we found that they have in common. The first thing is they all live below their means. It's, I mean, probably is just makes common sense, but none of our super savers live above their means. They're not trying to well, keep can't. up with the Joneses. You if can't you're saving, you're within your means. Yeah. Now you could be a super saver if you have a super high income, but when we call a super saver, most of our super savers aren't making a million bucks. They've just prioritized saving for their retirement. The other thing is they've set out and they have a very concise goal of why they're doing it. They've created a goal. It's not just because I want to save money. If you just say, I'm going to save money because I want to save it, there's no goal out there. You look at your money, you're like, well, okay, great, I saved it. But why? There has to be some purpose to actually accomplish this. And um, they're disciplined. They don't let things derail them. They don't see their friend get the new house like, oh, my gosh, I have to get a new house. It's not what they see. They just are super laser focused on what they're doing. They are, and you don't have to, uh, you know, I think another thing to become a super saver, I don't think anyone did it like overnight. Most kind of start small and build into it. But like you were just saying, it's been a priority. So you make it a priority to pay yourself first. And then along with that, they increase what they're doing over time, right? As your As your income grows and your lifestyle grows, you're also increasing your contribution rate because i think the if you don't save enough you're at risk of not always having the same lifestyle and then maybe even at risk having to work longer than you want to or work when you don't want to and there's a couple other things 
when they get started, like in a 401k, you know, they're going to at least get the match out of it. And that's not typically to get the full match. You don't have to save 25% of your income. Like usually a match is anywhere from three to 5%. Like there's some that are more, but that's pretty standard. And then as far as spending the money, like prioritizing savings, living within your means, there's at least some way of having a budget, whether it's on a spreadsheet and down to the penny, or you just understand your cash flow and you know you're directing money the right way as the money comes in, it's getting directed the correct way going out. Just whatever it is, you have some understanding of how your money's coming in and out, whether it's a very defined budget or maybe more loosely defined, but you're doing all the right things. Elias, you just brought up budget and this just hit me when you said something about the budget. You know, if you do your 401k and you do whatever you're saving into there, you know, in the past, I've always talked about how budgets are backwards, right? Because you're always at the bottom. Mm -hmm. If you do your 401k at your employer, you automatically moved yourself to the top of the stack. Yeah. The money's coming out before you don't even know that you have it. So I, I just, that literally just hit me. I'm like, dude, you moved yourself to the top of the stack by doing the 401k at your employer. And it's any, yeah, that's one of the easiest ways to save, right? And we talk about all the time, 401k accounts is typically gonna be your biggest account Well, over time. It's, here's why, here's why it's so effective. Because it's automatic and you never see the money. Yeah, you never see you it. You never see it, you never get the money. It's just automatically put away. And that's why I think some of the changes that have been made to 401k plans with automatic enrollment and just automatically opting people in versus people having to opt in. You have to opt out now if you go to a new employer to do it. Most people won't even know that they're doing it. They're going to wake up. They're going to have this money. Be like, well, this is great. And truth be told, we're going to need it because we've got the first generation of people approaching retirement that don't have pensions. Yeah. And so, yeah. So the investment accounts are only, they're going to be more important now. The, the, we'll see how this shakes out. I've got some real doubts as to how well this is going to work. Be, and, and here's why. Just think about people and most people's relationship with money. They're not that responsible with it. They see this big pot of money that, oh, I'm 59 and a half. Now I can get it. Or let me flip the other scenario. Well, I have to take my RMD now. And people don't understand how the required minimum distribution works. I have to take it. They assume they have to spend it. You can reinvest your RMD. But that's not what people think. How many people say, oh, that's my, that's my, I get that now. Like, yeah, like it's like oh, a prize. I get, yeah, I get this. <laughs> no, that's what you they could, say. I, you could have had it I all along. Now. You could have had it all along. It's yours. Yeah, but I mean, we You're have being people. you forced to take it now. It, I know people that think, oh, yeah, well, I, I, I'm supposed to take that and spend it. Mike, well, you know, if all of your money's in your 401k or IRA and you're taking your RMD and you spend your RMD every year, eventually you're going to run out of money. That's what it's, yeah. The RMD is designed to to run you out. Yeah. Which kind of leads me into, you know, because 2024 is the year of personalized advice. On the last show, I mentioned each episode, we're going to have a little segment where we challenge blanket financial advice and why, you know, it's not the best way to go and getting your own personalized financial plans, really the way to approach this. And I've said this from day one, this year we're gonna challenge the 80% rule. Tell me what the 80% rule is, Elias. 
it, it basically is suggesting that you need to be able to generate 80% of your pre-tax income when you retire do you think, for income planning. Do you like that idea? Uh, no, I don't like that idea because I don't know why you wouldn't plan to have 100% of your previous income or more. I pose this to every person that comes in here because this is the way that when I started in the industry, we were taught to do it. You know, someone's going to retire, they're going to live on 75 to 80% of their, you know, pre-retirement income. And I get it because you're not saving money in some of this other stuff. But what I ask people is today you're 60 and you're retiring tomorrow and you're spending 5,000 a month. Can you spend four tomorrow? Can no. you want a $4,000 budget tomorrow? And they're like, well, maybe, but it'd be really tight. The answer is no. What's the point of retirement? It's not to just get by. The point of retirement is to thrive, not just survive. Like nobody just wants to get by. And I mean, if you're going to barely get by, why are you retiring? Unless you just really hate your job. That's a good question. Like if you are just going to get by, why would you retire? Unless you hate your job and then just retire and find a different one. Like, I don't get it. I mean, I'd just rather work longer and have an enjoyable lifestyle in retirement. Here's the other reason that I don't think the 80% rule is, this is called the income replacement philosophy, right? That's what this is, income replacement. It's a percentage of it. We work off goals-based planning. So we say, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Client, how much do you need to meet your everyday living expenses? How much do you want to allocate towards discretionary, so vacations, all the other things. When are you going to buy a car? I mean, I just had a, a plan we did where we knew what she needed to live on every month. She said, hey, I want to do these home remodels this year. I need a car in three years. I want to be going to California once a year for 10 years to see my son. I want to go on a photography trip every other year. And we scheduled all this into her financial plan. And before she came in, she's like, I can't afford to do all this. I said, well, yeah, if, if we added up what you're going to spend the next year and we ran that out for all the years through retirement, it won't work. But I said, are you going on the photography trip when you're 86? No. The answer is no. Like you're spending more money. And that's where a really personalized, dialed in plan can bring you a really high level of confidence. She walked out of here and she's like, man, I didn't think I could do this. But now she feels confident and okay to go make these purchases that need to be done. Like she needs to update her house. She needs a new car. Instead, she's just living in this world of I can't do anything because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't want to run out of money. And the trip to California is to see her kid. Like you should go see your child once a year. I mean, go, yeah, I think that's pretty least. reasonable. So that's the first reason. The second reason I don't think the 80% rule works Guess what gets more expensive as you get older? Well, your health care. There you go. But, healthcare. No, yeah. Everybody underestimates how much they're going to spend on health care. Yeah, I think the, you know, and again, it's, we're challenging a rule of thumb, right? Because rule of thumbs are not personalized advice, but just the things you're talking about. Could I see that most people, like their their day-to-day, month-to-month budget is in the ballpark of 80% of their uh, working years income. It probably is something like that, but that's not, that's not, that's not the reality of what happens. That's not practical because it's, it's all the extra things like you're talking about the vacations, 
um, even buying toys. Like I know some people that side-by-sides are super popular now. So people are retiring and they want to buy one. Well, everybody has one. That money, right. But that money coming out of the account, that's going to be income to go purchase it. And you're retired. You shouldn't go, go take a loan to buy like a, all, especially an all-terrain vehicle, right? Like that's not getting you from point A to point B. That's a luxury item. Luxury item to have fun. And it, but if here's the thing: if you got it, and it's gonna mean that you spend more than eighty percent of your uh, your working income in that year, maybe you're gonna withdraw more than four percent in that one single year to take the money out and buy it. But if we can do, if we can show you that you can do all those things and you're not at risk of of running out, like why wouldn't you? What would be the reasons you want to do the things you want to do? Well, Elias, blanket advice is typically free. That's why. Yeah, it's like Google. But, you got that advice on Google. Yeah, you got the advice on Google. It was free, so that was worth it. When in reality, going and hiring somebody to put this all together for you and give you a very high level of confidence probably brings much more satisfaction to your life. I would think so. So if anybody out there is looking to get your own financial plan done, you can go to btwellshow.com. We'll get you what we call our premier vision document. It's a one page plan that summarizes where you are today, what your goals are and how to get there. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. Do you have any other takeaways for today's show, Eli? Uh, 2024 is the year of personalized advice. So if you have any questions, just reach out to us. We'll be happy to help you. Appreciate everybody for listening. Make sure to follow us on social. If you're watching this on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button. Thanks for listening. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. This information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific tax issues with a qualified tax advisor. Economic forecasts set forth may not develop as predicted and there can be no guarantee that strategies promoted will be successful. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. There is no assurance that the techniques and strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. The purchase of certain securities may be required to affect some of the strategies. Investing involves risks including possible loss of principal. Dollar cost averaging involves continuous investment in securities. Regardless of fluctuation in price levels of such securities, an investor should consider their ability to continue purchasing through fluctuating price levels. Such a plan does not assure profit and does not protect against loss.